And what God hates is division because he loves harmony and unity. This is what the Bible says, stay away from these kinds of people. And the question is, listen, not just like to mark them and be like, They're, that's them, but to look inward and say, is this me? These are warnings for us, not just for other people to be like, hey, hold up your warning sign. You should read this. It is a warning for you and for me. Are we those that sow discord? Let it be a warning to us. Are we these kinds of people? Because listen, Jesus died to save you from that job. Died to save you from that garbage. Not that we should continue in it, but we'd be set free from it. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 1 through 19. Um, we are going through Proverbs in a little bit different of a way than um, uh, than the expositor's way, where we go verse by verse, line upon line, because the first seven, eight, nine chapters, 10 chapters of the book of Proverbs make sense. And then you get to the last half and it's like trying to teach someone's Twitter account because none of it's all these collections of thoughts and all these different blurbs. And so we have taken uh, collectively different verses and different chunks that um, highlight a specific topic. And so um, we're making our way. We've gone through, I can't remember, but there are some in there that you should listen to. But there was one on, uh, what was the last one? Oh, we talked about wisdom and words. So we're going to look at everything, why wisdom is important, what it is. Remember, wisdom is not something that you are. It is something that you become. Wise is something that you become. And so we are all desiring to become wiser as we get older, as we um, progress in our walk with the Lord. It's not only for the old, like some old wise man. Wisdom is for today. It is for every age. And so um, the Bible has given us the book of Proverbs to, um, to teach us what it is to be wise, how to be wise. And tonight we're going to look at how to be wise in our character. So cultivating everyday character. I know, right? You're like, wow, I'm so excited. That was, I was hoping you was going to talk about character tonight. Um, if you're already bored, stick with me. It will get more exciting as it goes. All right. I hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the fact that we can meet together, Lord, in person, to be in this little courtyard and be able to sing your praises and open your word together. It's, it's such a privilege. And, and Lord, we pray tonight that you'd eliminate the distractions, the road, um, the guys playing baseball, the just all the stuff that goes on here on Thursday nights with being outside. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're, we're so thankful that you're a God who speaks. And Lord, you want to communicate to us and you want to impart wisdom to us. Lord, your word tells us if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And so, Lord, we want to uh, we want to receive from your word all that you would have for us tonight. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, Booker T. Washington once said that character, not circumstances, makes the man. Now, character is not something uh, that is given to us, but it is made over time uh, by daily choices. It's the day-to-day or day-in, day-out, run-of-the-mill choices we make daily that form our habits and shape 
the way that we relate to others. If there was a portrait of ourselves that revealed not the way we look, but what our character looked like, the question is, what would that portrait reveal? Hmm. If you were to see a painting of yourself and the guy, the person who is painting your portrait could see your character and they were going to paint a picture of what it looked like to depict your character, something that is hidden and often not seen, what would it look like? Mine looks something probably demonic. But um, <laughs> Proverbs 6 shows us three pictures of three different men that highlights bad character. But each of them tells us that godly character is formed by the everyday decisions that we make. And so he runs through a, a bunch of just daily things, very practical uh, things that we face every single day, whether it's money, relationships. Um, today it's, it's talking about being lazy. Anyone? Okay, just me. Um, there's this desire to just be lazy. Some of you are in the military and you have no choice. You can't be lazy. But... Proverbs 6 shows us that there's these, these different character traits, different things that are formed in us each day, and Proverbs will not allow us to escape the importance of everyday moments. Everyday moments, that's how character is made. In verses 1 through 5, it handles, or it's handling uh, of money is, is the description. In verses 6 through 11, it's handling the topic of self-discipline. And 12 through 19 is the idea of building in our, or building into our relationships and who we are to, um, to look out for, who to be aware of, um, and also to look inward, are we the problem? And so verse 1 reads, My son, if you become surety, for your friend. If you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth and you are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself, plead with your friend, give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Don't you like the drama? Deliver yourself like a gazelle. Free yourself. <laughs> Prancing upon the hills. You notice he, he was the writer of, of Song of Solomon, obviously. This is Solomon giving us his wisdom. And he used this picture of a gazelle a lot of times in Song of Solomon. It's this picture of freedom and strength and power. And here he uses it to, to help us to see that that has been taken away. But what he is warning us of it, there's different warnings throughout the Bible, and we experience warnings every single day that we love and appreciate. And this chapter is full of warnings. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take warnings as just suggestions for other people. Like, that's not a warning for me, but it's a good warning for you. But warnings are everywhere. Like this one. Touching wire will cause instant death and $200 fine. <laughs> This one also. Do not hold wrong end of chainsaw. It's a good warning. This one came on a baby stroller. Remove child before folding. <laughs> this is my favorite. Do not iron while wearing shirt. <laughs> this is a great one. Yeah. Those are warnings. We see them every day. This product may contain nuts or was made in a factory that in the vicinity of nuts. Like all of these warnings or, or whatever, how many of you actually read warnings? There's a warning label on your shampoo bottle. 
And those of you that don't know, shampoo is the thing that you wash your hair with. We cannot allow the warnings of Scripture to go unnoticed, much like the warnings that we experience on a daily basis. Warnings are an expression of God's love for us. And may we grow to love them because God loves us. I warn my children all the time, like, hey, don't touch that. That's hot. Or don't do that. That's dangerous. Or there's a lot of them throughout the day. Like, please don't do that. You'll die. I mean, these are all good warnings because I love them. And, and these warnings are more than practical advice. They communicate the heart of God for us. This is God's heart for us. And so how do we cultivate godly character um, in our lives? In verses 1 through 5, which we read, what you find is that your commitments matter to God. Your commitments matter to God. They matter to the Lord. Your contractual agreements legal and financial ones. God cares about these commitments that we make. And there are other commitments, obviously, friendships, relationships. Um, but verses one through three, he's talking about co-signing a loan for a stranger. Now, I mean, you've received, been on the receiving end of a co-signed loan. And you're like, thank you, mom or dad. You don't have to raise your hand if you're like, no, I'm self-sufficient. Uh, but I have been on the, the receiving end of a co-signed loan by my papa. And I was like, thanks, dad. Basically what that entails is if I don't pay the bill, my dad is responsible for the bill. So no one's getting off the hook here. If I don't pay, then it falls upon my dad. He says here that when you make this kind of pledge or shake hands or, or you pledge to a stranger, he says that is an unwise agreement. He's talking about this co-signing of, of a loan and putting up money for someone else that you hardly know. This is unwise. And obviously most of us are like, yes, I know. That is unwise. I agree. But why would someone do this? If you look at scripture, it seems like a dumb warning. Like, yeah, I know. I don't know this person. Some Joe guy who walks up the street. He's like, hey, could you co-sign on this Ferrari with me? Promise we'll pay the bill. You're like, eh, wisdom would say no. But... Why would someone do this in this context, in these days, in this culture? You can earn interest on that certain kind of loan. It was a quick way to make a buck. So you could actually make money really quick, really easy by just co-signing on someone's loan for them. And Solomon says, don't get into business deals or take a gamble with someone you do not know. It's a warning not to get into formal partnership where you can be brought down by someone else's irresponsibility. He says it's a trap. It's one that you have placed upon yourself and placed yourself into. The warning is do not forfeit what you are responsible for. Do not forfeit what you are responsible for. He's calling us to take back responsibility for ourselves. And there was this song by a great band, MXPX, it used to say, responsibility, what's that? <laughs> it was this punk, anyway, responsibility, what's that? And then you say, responsibility, not quite yet. It was like their whole thing, like, I'm not an adult yet. Listen, responsibility is a part of life. No matter where you are in life, if you have a bike, you're responsible for it. You're like, this is my bike. It's on you. There's responsibilities as you grow older that are more intense. And what Solomon is, is calling us to do is to take back our responsibility and to take ownership of them and to stand up and be mature and take care of them. And you would think, wow, it's so wise. You'd think we'd already know this, but there are so many that forfeit their responsibility. This is the warning. 
do not forfeit your responsibility to someone else who could possibly enslave you into something you do not want to be a part of. In verse 3 and 5, you love the drama. Get out of it. He's saying, like, deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter and like a bird from the hand of a fowler. This means that God wants us to take seriously what he has entrusted to us. He says, do whatever you can to get out of it. Text them every day to make sure that they know, like, this is not, we are done. I got to get out of this. We're not, you know, those long paragraph texts that you get, you're like, Oh man, you ever get the, I hate those. I hate them. I hate a text that has more than five sentences. They drive me insane because I only read for about two. And I'm like, I can't, too much. And you're like, this should have been an email or a letter or a phone call. Like, this is just ridiculous. And there's so many misspellings and you're like, what does this even say? There's no punctuation. There's no feeling. There's no body language. You can't understand what anyone is saying in a text that is 45 pages long. But he's saying to us, do whatever it takes to get out of this, to take back responsibility into our own hands. This means that God wants us to take seriously what he's entrusted to us. Whatever God has given to you, we need to take it seriously and to take care of it. To take back responsibility for what you are stewarding. Now, that is a a word we don't often use. Like, hey, man, I'm just a steward. Unless you're in church, it's not like a big word out in the world. They're like, hey, professional steward, how are you? Um, it's not like a word that's often used outside of biblical language. But a steward in the ancient world was someone who was over a house. Uh, essentially, what it means is that you are in charge of everything, and you take care of what's been placed into your care, and you're responsible for it all, but you do not own it. You're responsible for all of it. You're to take care of it and entrusted to it, It's your responsibility, but you do not own any of it. It's not yours. The Bible tells us that we are to be good stewards of what I've been entrusted with. And and what essentially there are four truths that go along with this, and that is God owns everything. It's very basic. If you're like, this is the most basic thing I've ever heard. Just bear with me. And the motorcycles. God owns everything. He owns the money in your bank account. He owns your job. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The world belongs to him. And the sooner that we understand that and treat things with that understanding, that my car, my relationships, even my children, they belong to the Lord. I am stewarding them. I'm responsible for them. I'm to take care of them. I'm to be faithful in taking care of them. But ultimately they belong to to someone else. God owns everything. Secondly, God gives us some, hallelujah. And then I'm accountable for these things, is the third one. And fourthly, I need to be faithful with these things. Whatever God has entrusted to you, however that looks, that looks different for everyone. But listen, God has called you to be a steward over something because God owns everything. And what he's given to you is to steward and to take care of, to be faithful for, because someday you're going to give an account for it. You're going to be held accountable for it. You think of Adam and Eve when they were placed in the garden to tend it. God said, I want you to tend the garden. Take care of it. You work in the garden. Name the animals. There was a job that they were given. They were to steward and take care of that garden. Joseph was a steward of the house of all of Potiphar. 
Everything in his household, he was the one who was stewarding it and taking care of it and was to be faithful over it. Meaning that he was in charge of everything, accountable for everything. It was placed in his care, but he did not own a single ounce of it. And it's the same kind of idea here. We are to be stewards of what God has given and what God has entrusted to us. And this is what he is he's warning us of. Do not gamble. Not in the sense of like going to Vegas. Obviously, don't do that either. But don't. He says, therefore, do not live your life like it's a gamble. Not just your money, but your resources, your time, your talents. We are to be generous with those things that we've been given and entrusted with, but we are not to gamble with them. We're to take it seriously. When it comes to money, and this is just like a, a, a short one, like these first five verses are addressing the idea of money. How many of you like it? Oh, just one. You liars. You lie. How many of you like having money? How many of you like eating? Okay, so you like money. That's like a, yeah, there you go. How many of you like your car? You like money, right? It all kind of coincides. It all goes together. Like how many of you like living in Southern California? You like money. Okay, you need it. It's a need that we have. Like we have to have it. I'm going to go, you know, raise my hand also. I like to have it in my bank account because it supplies. I have to have it. We all have to have it. Forgot where this is going. <laughs> when it comes to our money, God wants us to be generous with it. Why? Because it's all his. It's all his. He's the one who's taken charge over it. He's the one who's given us some of it. If you're like some more than others, you're like, hey, come on. But he's given us some. And what he is in charged and entrusted to us, we're to be faithful with and we're to be responsible for when it comes to our money, God wants us to be generous, but not to give it away, or sorry, but not to just give away our responsibilities when it comes to it. To avoid bad commitments so that we can give ourselves fully to good ones, he is saying. To avoid bad commitments so that we can give ourselves wholeheartedly and fully to good commitments like your church life, your family, your relationships and so on and so forth, your devotional life, your time with the Lord, worship, serving. Sometimes we enslave ourselves to bad commitments. In verses one through five, we are, guard, are told, are guarding us against doing, or against doing bad things in stewardship. Be careful um, is, is the, um, the charge and the warning. Be careful not to do what is wrong but now in verses 6 through 11, he's going to say, don't avoid doing what is right. Don't avoid doing, doing what is right. Because not only does God care about our commitments, God cares about our ambitions. Our ambitions. What does godly ambition look like? It's, it's a really tricky kind of scenario. What does it look like to be ambitious? to be gracious, to be led by the Holy Spirit. And this is something where a lot of you are kind of in this, this limbo phase of life of like, I want to take over the world, but for the Lord in a gracious way, but also want to have money. Like, where is this, where do we walk with God in an ambitious way and seek to glorify God with our life, but yet still do what is right and not avoid doing what is right? Because our ambition matters to God. Look what he says. Now this is, Real, a blessing. Go to the ant, you sluggard. 
<laughs> I underlined and highlighted. Um, Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? He has a name for this lazy person that he's talking about. It's the name sluggard. The man or woman who is in danger of wasting opportunities day after day, it turns into wasted years, he's saying. But you think, man, that doesn't apply to me. I'm so busy. After all, I live in Orange County. I'm so busy. Some of you are like, that's not my truth right now, but I'm extremely bored. But some of you are like, man, I'm so busy. I have so much to do all the time. Think about this for a second. It is possible to be very busy and very lazy at the same time. Follow me. Some of you have a blank stare on your face. Like you don't, you're like, you're lying. You can be very busy and be very lazy at the same time. It's possible to fill our time with unimportant things while ignoring more important things. How many of you have ever procrastinated? It's my life verse. Or no, there's no verse about procrastination, but it's kind of like my hobby, pastime. Let's wait to the very last minute and then throw things together. Like why do, ever thought about why I procrastinate? I thought about it the other day, like why do I procrastinate so hard? Like it's like a goal of mine. Or why do I spend 45 minutes scrolling and you're like, I just lost 45 minutes of my life and I'm, I'm just so busy and you drool as you just sit there and glaze and absorb all of this information, stupid memes. And you're like, what am I doing in my life? Ever had that like epiphany where you're like, I've been here for way too long. My legs are numb. You know what I mean? Usually takes place in a certain room in the house. Your legs have gone numb. Um, but ask me later. It's possible to fill our time with unimportant things while ignoring more important things. Why do we procrastinate? Listen, I know why I procrastinate. Because there is a fear, it's, it's motivated by fear, and here's what it is. If I devote myself and gave myself fully into this thing and I fail, I have no excuse. But if I procrastinate and half-heartedly go into it and still succeed, or if I fail, I have an excuse as to why I failed. Well, if I had more time, if I'd been able to devote myself to it, then I really could have done well. And so often that's what it is. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of, of all sorts of things. Or we procrastinate just because we're, you know, lazy. The word sluggard is someone who has the initial motivation but then gives up. This is my favorite verse in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 26, 15, it says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. He sticks his hand in the thing and goes, ah, I just can't bring it to my mouth. It's just too difficult. I love this one. Proverbs 22, 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. I can't go outside. I might die. That is the excuse. Like, I, I, could, uh, I could get hit by a car. Can't go. I'm just going to stay home. Sluggard. You know, it's the sluggard is someone that you think, like, are they moving? Are they going to get up? Up, uh, no, just rolling to the other side. They're not moving. They're not doing anything, he's saying. The sluggard is someone who's committed for the easiest possible action, looking for the easiest possible option, but leads to the worst outcome imaginable. 
And really, it's at its root of laziness is a lack of love. Because we're looking for other people to carry, you're looking for other people to carry you, or I'm going to say me, I'm looking for other people to carry me rather than looking for ways to carry other people. It's this always this attitude of why isn't this about me? Why isn't it? Why do I have to do? How come no one is serving me? It's this attitude of laziness that's saying I don't love people enough to work hard or to try. It doesn't apply. Uh, it does apply. It doesn't just apply to work or responsibility, but it also comes up with people. People. We can be lazy with people. There are, we all have those people in our life that are extremely difficult to love, and you know you're thinking of them right now, right? That's why some of you are smiling. You're like, they're just rubbing the wrong way. I don't want them. When you see them, you're like, oh, bless your heart. Um, <laughs> but I hate you, you know, or whatever. But we have this this kind of mentality with people as well. Easy decisions when it comes to people and friends. When it comes to the side of friendship that is hard, which is is death to self is really what it is. And I have to confront a friend or I have to do the most loving thing that is to tell someone you're wrong or you're ruining your life. And you hear someone say, I just love him so much. I can't tell him. Actually, you love yourself. You love yourself too much. And we can be lazy when it comes to relationships and when it comes to friendship. And man, this nailed me today. And I thought, oh, man. This is dumb. I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> Let's talk about something else. Laziness is one of those things where we're like, it's cool. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about all these other bad sins. And you're like, laziness is a sin. Because God gave us work before the fall ever existed. Having a mission and a goal and having having work is not just a part of the fall where now it's hard. Work existed. Hard work existed before the fall. It just got really hard when sin entered. And so easy decisions, it, it, when it comes to people and friends, sometimes it's easier to have relationships than others. And so we, we're lazy in the way that we confront them. We're a sluggard in that way. And I hope that you don't just, you don't hear me calling you sluggard all night. I'm talking to myself. Hopefully you know that. I'm just like, you're sluggard and we're, we're all sluggards. And it just sounds like me. It sounds like the belly, like the sound my belly makes, like sluggard. You know, just like when you when you drink too much water and you hear it like kind of like a waterbed. That's the kind of like when you hear that noise, you're like sluggard is what it sounds like. But God cares about our ambitions, and we're not to uh, we're not made for procrastination, but for active participation in what God is doing. Do you understand, like, when we meet at Thoughtlets and when we meet here, like, this is not just us sitting around and watching, like, watching worship happen or watching people teach the Bible or watching someone pray for another person or watching someone, you know, lead worship or watching someone. That's, it's not a, a spectator sport. That's not what church is. It's not for us to procrastinate. Like, someone else will do it eventually. It's for us to be actively involved in participating in what God is doing in our city and our community. That God is at work and he invites us to be a part of it and to be a part of God changing people's lives. Do you understand that God invites you to be a part of that? 
He doesn't wait till you're like on the A team and he's like, okay, now you're spiritual. Sanctification has taken its, its course and now you're holy enough. Now I invite you to be a part of my work. No, that's not how it goes. It, it's this whole thing like you're saved, you're a believer, you go to church, you love Jesus, go tell other people. Be a part of the work that God is doing. He invites you into that. And the thing that, that Proverbs uses to inspire us the, the, the writings of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, who wants to inspire us to be those that work hard and be a part of what God is doing. The, the thing that he uses is the ant. How inspirational. You know, of any of the animals that you would have, have chosen, a fierce mascot. Like when you think about mascots in, in like the NFL, it's like the Titans and the Rams that are fiercely headbutting each other. Or something, something fierce. Lions, bears, tiger, um, cougar, panther. Usually it has teeth. And then you come and play the ducks. And it's like, what is that? <laughs> flap, flap, flap. You know, like, what, that's not intimidating at all. It, what, it, why would we go to the ant of all of the creatures? Zach said this. I thought this was amazing. We were just joking around. I'm like, the ant, you sluggard. And he's like, you know what it is? is it, ants are everywhere. And I was like, well, they're not in Antarctica, except Aunt Joel's joke. Antarctica, I can't take credit. Antarctica, there's not ants in Antarctica. But ants are everywhere. And he's like, you can't escape the call of God. Ants are everywhere. Every continent, everywhere you go, except its namesake, Antarctica. But you will find ants everywhere. He's like, you can't escape it. It's everywhere. It's always a reminder that we're to be at work. But the, the whole thing of the ant and why it's giving us this inspiration through the ant is, look at verses 6 and 7. Go to the ant, you slugger, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in uh, for harvest. What he's saying here is, number one, take initiative. To take initiative. Not waiting for someone else to lead, but to act First, when we read scripture and that prompts us to stop or, or, or prompts us to do something and the Bible says you ought to live like this. You don't have to sit there and like, well, I'll wait till someone else does it. It's prompting you to do what God's word is telling you to do. Don't wait till it's cool or it's in style. Don't wait till it's like in vogue, but do it. Be motivated by God's word. Take initiative. Be obedient to what we read and what we hear and be the first to do it but also to start with an aim to finish. The ant sets out with a goal in mind and to finish it well. The sluggard starts out with his initial motivation, but quickly stalls. I'm hungry. Yes, I can't bring it to my mouth. I'm so lazy. The ant will not stop till the work is done. It aims to finish what it started. We need to follow through with good commitments. God cares about your commitments. Follow through with those good commitments. Um, I don't know about you, but I wasn't allowed to quit anything when I was a kid. My dad, when I was like, I want to play baseball. Sorry. I want to play baseball. And I was like, are you sure? Because season's about to start. If you start baseball, you cannot quit. You will finish out the season. And at the end of the season, if you want to play anymore, you don't have to play anymore. But you're going to, if you start it, you're going to finish it. And I was like, yeah. Halfway through, I'm like, I don't want to play anymore. He's like, you made a commitment. Go to every practice. It was like the most annoying thing ever. One year I played hockey, roller hockey. 
That's right. This big old body on, on blades, just like. <laughs> and then I became the goalie. And you have to wear all these pads. And we'd play outside on blacktop. And I remember wearing all these pads. And it was so hot. I was like, Dad, I don't want to play this anymore. It's too hot. Like, I don't. And we didn't have all the gear. I was really, uh, we weren't super wealthy. So my dad made made um, the goalie pads out of PE equipment that he found at the school because he worked at a school. And so he made me goalie pads. So I looked like this just fat kid with pillows all over him. And I'm like playing goalie. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. He's like, hey, you made a commitment. You're going to see it. If you don't want to play at the end of the year, you don't have to. All of that, will, will obviously, he's teaching me, like, you start something, you finish something. If, if you're going to commit to something and it's a good commitment, people are depending upon you, so finish well. The sluggard starts with initial motivation but quickly stalls. The ant will not stop. This is what it's meant to inspire us to do, to follow through with good commitments. But the third thing is we are to build towards the future. Verse 8, provides for her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. Um, works all through the summer so that fall there's food to eat. We're to build towards the future. We do not know what the future holds. Obviously, clearly, it's been the weirdest, craziest year, and it's only halfway over. We don't know the future, but we can build for the future. Make a plan to grow. How many of you ever thought, like, I have a goal. <laughs> I want to run a marathon. It's never come out of my mouth ever than right now where I'm like, I want to run a marathon. If you've ever thought, like, I want to run a marathon, you don't just show up on the day of the marathon and run 26 miles unless you're just one of those people that I hate and just has really, like, can do that kind of stuff and you're super annoying and you were born with abs. You know, that's, God bless you. But, um you got to work towards something. You have to have a goal in mind. I want to run 26 miles. So how do you start? You start to build and think, how can I grow? Make a plan to grow. How am I going to grow this year? This is, this is who we want to be. Have you ever thought about it? This is who I want to be. I want to be like this. Okay, well, what's the plan to become like that? How, how do I want to grow as a man of God or a woman of God? What is the plan to get there? How, how are you going to, you don't just end up one day like, I'm wise. It happens over time. You don't just have character one day. It's building daily choices, making the right decision, learning from bad decisions, making good commitments, learning from bad commitments. It's all with this intention of, of the mindset of like, if I have a goal, how am I going to get there? And what do I need to do personally to grow this year? If this is what I want to become, what is my plan to grow? How am I going to grow this year? What is the goal? It's good to have a goal. It's good to have goals. And, and I don't have many, but here's, here's something that I thought about today. Personally, for each of us, the goal for each of us is different. Whether Whatever your ambition is towards. If you're like, man, I really want to be a truck driver. You're like, right on. That's your ambition and that's your goal. That was my goal. In high school, I really want to be a truck driver. And uh, here we are. But I really want to like have a goal. Listen, personally for each of us, we all have different goals because we all have different ambitions. But corporately as the church, we all have the same goal. It's that lives would be transformed by the gospel. And it's something that we always need to come back to as the church. Whatever your personal ambition is, 
Remember that you have a corporate ambition that is built into your Christianity to be a part of the kingdom of God, working to build towards the furtherance of that kingdom. That we're involved in this. And so if you ever thought, like, why am I working with the people that I'm working? That corporate goal is to reach those people with the gospel. You ever thought, I hate my job and I can't wait to leave my job. Don't leave until you've been an influence for the gospel. Every single day that we have decisions and choices, the sluggard treats each moment like it doesn't matter. But that is not what scripture tells us. Verses 10 through 11, it says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall your poverty come upon you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Notice that phrase, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. It is the sluggard is mentioned or known as by or is marked as a person of compromise, little compromises, a little this, a little that, a little bit, a little bit leads to a lot. So the question that Proverbs asks us and asks me is what am I allowing to slip away? What excuses am I using? Listen, God wants us to be free of complacency and procrastination. So what excuses am I making? We all have excuses. Like I was ripped off by this person. They let me down. This happened, blah, blah, blah. So what? So what? You can't allow that to define your whole life. You're a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come, become new. So if you're constantly drawing upon the past, something that's dead and gone and beyond you, listen, the only thing the sluggard keeps treating each day like it doesn't matter. It matters. Everyday moments, everyday choices, they matter to the Lord. A little bit, a little ways, they slip, it begins to slip on and it becomes not just a little, it becomes a lot. Now, the final warning in verses 12 through 19 is a massive warning against what's destructive and dividing um, in, in our relationships. Verse 12, it says, A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with perverse mouth. He winks with eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in it. It just reads funny. Sorry. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. There's another moment in verse 19 where it says, He sows discord among the brethren. He lists six things that the Lord hates and seven that are abomination to him. A proud look a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. This is a massive warning. It's a massive warning. But notice, the passage describes outward signs of inward evil. And the last thing is that our relationships matter to the Lord. Okay, So our commitments matter. Um, our ambitions matter to the Lord and our relationships matter to the Lord. In this passage, notice he describes these outward signs of inward evil. And it's interesting in the ESV, it says that he winks maliciously, which is like, how do you wink maliciously? <laughs> you know, how do you just like angrily, like wink so hard right now? And my kids try and wink. We're like, Molly, wink. And she goes, she can't do it with one eye. It's so cute. But anyway, it's not talking about a, a malicious wink that someone's winking at you. <laughs> this is funny. Sorry. It's a squint. It's a squint. It's an angry look is what it is. Someone who just scowls at you. 
But there are these in their in their words. It's not just in their their eyes and their face. It's what they say. It describes someone who is actively going around speaking rumors, always causing drama, disturbing people. Those that don't accurately describe the other side of the story. It's always someone else's fault is this person that he's describing. And the important thing is as you read this, right? Because it's something that the Lord hates, which is interesting language. Like, I thought God is love. He is love. And therefore, he hates certain things. It's, people think that they can't coexist. They do. They very well. I mean, it, it absolutely does. Right? People ask you, like, what do you think of modern day slavery or modern day racism? And you're like, I hate slavery. I hate racism. Why? Because you love children or you love people, right? That's, so when, when the Bible uses this language of what God hates, it's also revealing what God loves because he loves. But when you read these things, notice that he says that his eyes, his feet, his fingers, he's pointing the finger, always someone else's fault. What does he say? Perversity is where? It's in his heart. These are outward signs of inward evil. And he sows, he plants seeds of discord or division. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. This is the result. And he talks about these proud things that God, or these six or seven things that God hates. What God hates, it's kind of intense, but it also reveals what God loves. But in the middle of this, look what he says. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans. Where does it all come from? It's the heart. What needs transformation? It's the heart. In the middle of this list is the source of all of these things. And what we learn is that God hates discord because he loves unity. This is what Jesus comes to save us from. This is what Jesus came to save us from. You've heard nothing else. Pay attention. Hold on. When you read all of these things, don't get into debt with someone else. He says, work hard. Don't be lazy. Listen, he's all showing us that this is what Jesus came to save us from. Jesus takes our debts. Jesus took me on as a bad risk, right? Yes, amen, hallelujah. And he did it for me and for you. And what we could not do for ourselves and what we should not do for other people, Jesus did for us. He took us on as a bad risk. He didn't do it by shedding innocent blood, but his, his innocent blood was shed for our sins to pay all our debts, past, present, future. His feet were not swift to evil or swift to to kick up dust and stomp his feet in division. His feet were nailed together upon a cross. He didn't point the finger. He took the blame. Notice that this is what Jesus came to save us from. Not to divide us, but to unify us as he came and spoke truth and he humbled himself. And what God hates is division because he loves harmony and unity. This is what the Bible says, stay away from these kinds of people. And the question is, listen, not just like to mark them and be like, They're, that's them. But to look inward and say, is this me? These are warnings for us, not just for other people to be like, hey, hold up your warning sign. You should read this. It is a warning for you and for me. Are we those that sow discord? Because listen, God hates it. He hates it. It drives him crazy. 
it gets under – I mean it's something that when you read those things and what's involved in that, a lying tongue, a proud look. My mom used to make me read this when I get caught lying. It was really fun. She used to <laughs> – she'd break out this Strong's Concordance and she's like, I want you to look up the word lying. And I want you to look through the Bible and what it says about lying. And for hours I would look up verses about lying. And what you find is that God hates lying. And I always thought that God hates me. And my mom would always come in with the grace of God. God doesn't hate you. He died for that sin. He died for that sin. And so why be enslaved to it anymore? I think it's interesting that this, that word, or the, the lying and discord is involved in the six things. Of all the things that God could hate, these things are included. Division and lying. It communicates something to us about the heart of God. And how God does not want us to be those that do this. Let it be a warning to us. Are we these kinds of people? Because listen, Jesus died to save you from that junk. Died to save you from that garbage. Not that we should continue in it, but we'd be set free from it. That's what the gospel communicates to us. So, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight and the fact that um, God, you have given us such practical wisdom in your word as for, for how we are to go about in our relationships with others, in our relationships to one another. Um, Lord, we want to be wise in the things that we, we say, the things that we do. We thank you, Lord, that your, your word tells us that we have the gift of communicating with you and to repent and to turn and to receive forgiveness. And so, Lord, I don't, I don't want it to be harsh. Or, um, but, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us. Are there areas in our life where we're sowing discord? Are there areas of our lives where, where we are being the problem instead of the solution? Um, Lord, that we would be careful and, and wise with our relationships, but also, Lord, being those that work towards the goal uh, of bringing people to Christ. So Lord, help us to be wise. And um, I pray anything that was not of you would just disappear and we wouldn't remember. But Lord, you would give us a specific word for us tonight um, to each of our hearts, something that you want to teach us, something that you want us to know. And um, so Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to minister those things to our hearts in Jesus' name. Stop.